I'm a violent person, apparently, to Chris. And I love you some of the most. So, good morning, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. It's, it's always good to be here. It's nine years. I reflect every time I come here, so it might get old then. But it's nine years that we've been coming here, my wife Helga and I, and our son Sam. And it's always, we always love coming. And uh, so, whatever, whatever, Lord willing, you get out of us being here, we get more, I think. And so, I'm, I'm grateful for that. So, it's Thanksgiving Sunday. And so, it's, it's important to at least touch on Thanksgiving. And uh, this might just be true in my upbringing, but I'm pretty sure it's true in yours, too is we all remember that one Thanksgiving meal where before anyone could eat. Now, past generations used to do this. They used to have hoops that everybody had to hop through in order to get to the thing, right? So you got to sing Silent Night, seven, what is it, seven verses of Silent Night before you open presents. Come on. Right? And, and in my family, for Thanksgiving meal, you had to, everyone had to go around the table and say something they're thankful for. Like, that is a nightmare. All right? <laughs> Let's just admit it. Right? And so everybody's... Now, now you start wrapping your... Okay. Okay. I got to think of something really good, and I can't say the same thing as somebody else. It has to be memorable, but not too memorable. It has to be hopefully not too shallow. We all think this way, okay? And there's, there's a rating system, okay? I can't, think, I can't think about something too superficial because I'm just going to look bad in front of my family, okay? I cannot be thankful for my Xbox or my new, or my new pair of shoes. I, I, that's just, I got to go one more level down. I got to at least say I'm thankful for my house or warmth or heaven forbid I'm, in, I'm thankful for my family. That's the next level. That's the next level. And that's probably as far as anybody goes. I'm thankful for my parents. I'm thankful for my siblings. I'm thankful that my grandma's here from, she lives far away and now she's here and that's as far as you want to go. Because if you go any further in your thanksgiving and you, and you say, I'm thankful for God. I'm thankful that God loves me. Now, you, now your siblings and your family are groaning. They're going, okay, who does this person think they are? Getting all holy in thanksgiving here. There are lines that we don't cross. Is this just my experience in thanksgiving? So kids, now, now I've refreshed everybody's mind so tonight or when you go to your gathering expect your family all to be doing the thanksgiving game and everyone should say i'm thankful for the blood of jesus that covers my sins and washes me clean every day right there's your token sunday school answer all right and you get bonus marks if your family's not saved all right but This is how Thanksgiving works. It thanks, thankfulness is a battle. 
And it's a battle between the things that are so easy to be thankful for and the things that are a little difficult to be thankful for. And this is where I want to not gut punch Chris today. This is where I want to just press and remind all of us is there are levels of thankfulness. And they are not the same and they are not at peace with each other. There is a war in all of our hearts for the things that we hold dear. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter what age. This, this beautiful woman that turned 81 today, there is still a battle in your heart for the things that you hold dear. This is just the human condition. There's no way around that. And where I want us to spend our time is a thankfulness in the deeper things, a thankfulness in the everlasting things. I hope to prove a point to the validity of that. So Matthew 6, 19 to 21 is our jumping point. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. These are the words of Jesus, and, and if, if Jesus knew how to right cross somebody in the spirit, that's the guy that really knew where to land. And so I want to talk about laying up treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven. And Chris mentioned today that the memories of his wife have become a treasure in his heart. That was very fitting. Verse 19 of chapter 6 says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. That's kind of restrictive. We just can't have nice things, right? We just can't have nice things. Piety. Is Jesus talking about piety where where we must buy only secondhand clothing, where we must only have a 20-year-old rug in our home, where we still need to have bunny-eared TV? Is this, is, what, is this what he's talking about? He proves why he would say this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Isn't this good? He, see, Jesus is never asking us to do something for, just for kicks, just because he wants to see us dance to his words. Jesus is always inviting us into the better thing. Because I think we would all agree that the things on earth do rust, and they are eaten by moths, and they do disintegrate right in front of our eyes. They just do. Think of how important security has become in our day and age. The, kind, the type of systems you can get for your home. They're, they're insane. 
And you know what all that tells us? It doesn't tell us that the world is so much more dangerous. It tells us that our stuff is so much more valuable. And value has nothing to do with how much it's cost. Not one little bit. It's all about the, the posturing and the re- reaction of our hearts to that thing. That creates value. And then the level we go to protect it speaks to the value that we hold it at. Because all of us, are tr- all of us gen- generally are trying to protect the treasures of our heart. And on what level, you can ask yourself if you really want to, what level of value are those things that we're spending so much time and energy protecting and working towards? Stuff is really important to us. It's important to me. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now that's, that's the scary line. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That tells us that the things that we hold dear control us. Am am I making that up? The Bible says it and our lives are, they very clearly play that out. We are controlled by the things that we hold dear. And it becomes a perpetual cycle because the time you spend on the treasure in your life only causes you to spend more time on that same thing. It's a never-ending cycle. And it causes us to do crazy things. I work with a guy who told me a story about his friend. So it's now you know, the third person in the story. But they have Pokemon cards, right? Pokemon used to be a thing. I think it's still a thing, right? Like, okay, kids, if you want to shout out to me, I'm going to talk to you. (laughs) So here's the thing. Pokemon is still a thing. And there's a guy that I know who told me a story about his friend who has three Pokemon cards that are super rare and he could sell them to change his whole life. Like thousands of dollars worth on these cards. And his friends ask him, why don't you sell these things? And he said, I just can't part with them. I, I hear what you're saying 
I know they're worth a ton. I know I could buy a new vehicle. I know I could make a down payment on a house, but I just can't part with them. That's a perfect example. And until we think that, boy, that, kid, that person's really sad, what's yours? There's the gun punch. What's yours and what's mine? The thing that, that goes past all logic. The thing that supersedes health and wellness and responsibility and we say, we just, we just can't part with it. Oh. And Jesus is saying, here's the reason why those things should not take up your life. They don't last. And they're a poor supplement for the things that are really treasures. But here's the thing that everybody's thinking. Or maybe I'm just going to look bad in saying this. Sometimes the things that are really valuable in life, and you've all heard it before, the things that are really valuable in life just aren't that exciting in accordance to these things we just can't part with. Because there's a war and a battle. Who's ever heard that saying, he who dies with the most toys still dies? I was a kid of the 90s, and that was a huge t-shirt in the past. He who dies with the most toys still dies. Boom, like big shot. And everyone's like, I still love the big toys. It's no big deal. Right? That was a big time t-shirt when I was growing up. So true, so true. We go to the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12, and it's very much the same story. Jesus again is telling a parable, and they invited him to do it by screaming at him from the crowd. And Jesus goes, this is good. I, I'm just looking for uh, a reason is to say this. Somebody in the crowd, verse 13 of chapter 12 of Luke, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now you've done it, right? Now you've done it. But Jesus said to him, man who made me judge or arbitrator over you. So who am I to decide that you should get all that your heart desires over your brother getting all that your heart, all his heart desires. So Jesus says, this is good. We have a, a beautiful picture of the human condition. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. What just happened here? And he tells a story. He tells a parable. Parables, again, are meant to tell kingdom concepts in real life context. Kingdom concepts in real life context. Okay, so it's, it's a story that's easily understood. Well, that's not necessarily true because often he hid some of his words here. He said to them, take care 
and be on your guard against all covetousness. Covetousness is a fancy word, fancy biblical word for saying that you want something that isn't yours. You really want it. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Here he's pointing at the things that we own will fall away. As he said before, that moth and rust would destroy. And he takes it one step further here. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? I got a big problem. I've done so well this year that all of the earnings I don't know where to put. That would be the equivalent of saying, okay, I got a big inheritance. Uh, I got a promotion at work. My bonuses were through the roof. And now I have too much money for my bank account. Do I go RSPs? Do I go into stocks? What am I going to do with all this cash? Because I'm hoping I'm just going to be looking at it as it goes up and up and up. And I can just sit here and enjoy all the things that I've done. That would be kind of where we're at today. What should I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones so I can hold more treasure. And I will store all of my grain in my goods. So he was already on thin ice. He's already on thin ice and the second part really cooked him. And I will say to my soul, now he wants to start congratulating himself on how well he's done with all of his goods. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And God said, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will those be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Rich towards God, looking back at Matthew 6, would be laying up treasures in heaven. We're constantly storing treasures in a storehouse on earth or treasures in the storehouse of heaven. Constantly. There was a song that sung, you're either sowing to the flesh or you're sowing to the spirit. You're either doing one or the other at a time. And the meaning of this is you're either making your flesh stronger in how you behave and think and act, or you're making your spirit, the life of God, in you stronger in how you think, behave, and act. And it's the same, same thing with our treasures. The things we hold dear, the things that we are storing up, we're either putting them towards the very temporary that we all know are going to end. 
or we're putting them towards heaven, which we don't get to see right now, and they're not as shiny in your face, but they are everlasting good. Just to be clear, these are the things, this treasure of heaven, is, it's not simply some, some, something that is ambiguous that you're not totally sure what that is. God is looking for how we act and behave in his kingdom. How we treat people are treasures in heaven. How you raise your family are treasures in heaven. How you act towards non-believers, how you behave at work and work faithfully, these are treasures in heaven. The things you do in God's name are treasures in heaven. How you treat the poor and the needy are treasures in heaven. How you conduct yourself when nobody is watching are treasures in heaven. They're just not as shiny. But they're things that can never be taken away. And, who's, and who count infinitely to the only opinion of the one who's really counts in our life. And that's God's. The treasures on earth are for our own consumption. The treasures for heaven are surely for God's consumption and enjoyment. What do you give to the God who gave you everything and needs nothing in return? And he calls them treasures in heaven. So as Jesus says in Luke, you can't take these things with you. I was thinking about the Titanic as I was reading this. The Titanic was the most out-of-control, blinged-out, iced-up ship that you ever saw. The top ticket for the Titanic would cost upwards of $100,000 in today's money. $100,000 to take a trip that would have lasted five or six days. They sunk at day four and they weren't there yet. For $100,000. <clears> a regular nice ticket was around $4,000. Imagine paying $4,000 to take a ship that would, that would get you there in a week rather than 12 hours on a plane. And that was per person. Now here's the thing. The Titanic was the the greatest um, travel experience that anyone ever had. There was just a problem. Kids, what was the problem with the Titanic's? Yes. Yes. You should keep going. Some people speculate that's why it sinks. 
Okay. Let's, what, is, what is your name? Scotia. Scotia. Scotia? Okay, let's give Scotia a hand. <coughs> you should meet my son. You'd have a lot to talk about. So that's a valid point, that I think God does business with people who think that they are above his rules. That's a valid point. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter how ritzy and luxurious and amazing something is if you die at the end of the trip. It's all for waste. Do you know that 40% of the first class who was getting the best of the best, 40% of the first class died. And since only one first class child died, only one, that means that most of the adults that had any sort of skin in the game, because the kids weren't paying their way on, were the ones that lost the most. It doesn't matter what you have if you die at the end of the trip. <coughs> I could actually stop right there. This is the point that Jesus is making. If you have suitcases of clothes and dinnerware, if you're eating steak and lobster and all the goodies that they're preparing, 1914 or 19, whatever, in the early 1900s, they still knew how to put on a good party. They weren't like so far behind that they couldn't really rock it. So these people during the four days were getting the very best society had to offer. And like Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter. At the end, you're dying and all of your stuff is about to be at the bottom of the ocean, 4,000 meters down, where you can't even take a submarine down without it blowing up. Right? So, it's actually a really good picture. Really helpful. Kind of dark. So what do we do? I'm glad you asked. Colossians gives us the key. And as is most of the things in our Christian walk, we need God to help us think better. The battle is in our thoughts and in our heart, and we need God to do the heavy lifting. Colossians 3 says this. This is one of the greatest passages It says this, 
if then you have been raised with Christ. So, if then you have been raised with Christ, I receive him as my Lord and Savior. I have prayed the prayer to invite him to be king over my life. I am still completely sinful, fall all the time, and every day am at my wit's end and completely dependent on his grace for anything good to happen. But in my heart I have said, God, I need you to be king over my life and would you help me to know that better and better every day. If that is your life's truth, you can raise your hands in your heart. If that is you, then it says this, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Jesus did not stay dead, but is at the right hand of God, interceding regularly on our behalf. And that is daily grace. He is fully alive and fully active for our good. Set your minds on things that are above, i.e., treasures in heaven. For you, not on things that are on earth. And again, as Jesus, he explains why he mentions this. For you have died. To live in Christ, we have to die to our own self. And that can be hard to understand, and it can be a mystery, and if that doesn't make sense to you, give it time and keep pursuing the Lord, and it will more and more. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when Christ, who is your life, <coughs> appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Your life in Jesus is your most real self. Many of us like to be at home because we can be our most realist self. We can get home, sweatpants, ripped t-shirt. We can sit around, right? We are our most real self for good and for bad. For good and for bad. But even more than that is our life in Christ. Where that is our utmost real self. Because that is so. It's soul to redeemer. It actually takes all of the flesh out of it. Because each of us are an eternal being and that's what people don't want to understand 
And that's why people can live so flippantly in life because they think this is all that there is. And we know as Christians, and if you don't, just keep going and you will, that this isn't all there is. <clears throat> I want to tell you something that I'm thankful for. Now, I, I appreciate um, the well wishes when my mom passed. My mom passed in July, and I don't think I've been back since. And that was a very hard time. And it was a hard time for many different reasons, one of which was just <clears throat> we had a difficult relationship. And so I actually didn't know how I would react to my mom passing. I didn't know. Because I thought, I don't actually know. I didn't really know how to be, get along with her. So I don't really know how to grieve when she's gone. <clears throat> and with God, it's never just the here and now that he's working with. It's never just the things that are in front of us. And by God's grace, I got to have the very most authentic grieving process with my mom more than I ever thought or imagined that I could have had. And on the outside, it looked tragic. <clears throat> because here's this guy, probably full of regret, just sobbing and sobbing for a mom that wasn't there. So on the outside, on, on the surface level, it could be a very sad story. But I'm so thankful that God gave me an eternal, an eternal moment and moment and moment with her that will last forever. Because God gave me the ability to grieve over things that had been hurting in my heart for 40 years. And God did that. So on a surface level, we had this sad thing. And he was letting captives of 40 years go free. That's worth being thankful for. I saved like a thousand bucks on counseling right there. Maybe more. But I'm so thankful for that because God is never just dealing in the here and now. And he doesn't want his people to either. And that's why he tells us, focus on the things that are never going to die, that you're never going to lose. Your relationships in LCF, will never die. That's amazing. Look, once you look at somebody across the church, <clears throat> people always love this exercise, look at somebody across the church and say, I'm stuck with you forever. <laughs> Come on. And then somebody else and somebody else. That's what my wife says to me sometimes. Well, you're stuck with me, so, right? And <clears throat> the, the relationship as believers supersedes even 
husbands and wives. Because the Bible says we're not going to be married anymore in heaven. But a brother and sister in Jesus will never end. So that's like 10 sermons. But what do you think the connotations of that in how we treat our fellow LCF members? You're in it for the long haul, so you'd better make it work. And yes, God will perfect each of us and hopefully the other person, right? Right, I'm kidding. But <clears throat> if ever you think and the other person, it's always you. Just so you know, that's the answer to it. It's always you, right? God is always working. And I want to mention one more story from the Old Testament because this is where, this is where our need, this is where our need uh, really intersects with God's power in our life. None of the Christian experience is possible without God's daily supernatural care. We are not as strong as we think. We are not as holy as we think. We are not so out of the hellfire as we think. It just, when we think that way, it just means that God is constantly working in our lives. A backslide is not necessarily an attack on somebody's character. It's more a revelation of God not holding them up. We're constantly in need in God's saving every day. So if you want, you can just listen to this. <clears throat> it's all the way back in the Old Testament in 2 Kings. There came first Elijah, who was a major prophet of Israel. And he did amazing things, power, supernatural things, and he was God's anointed prophet. And after him became Elisha, I don't know why their names were so similar, but they were. And he got the same mantle of Elijah, and he too did amazing things in the kingdom of Israel, and by God's grace actually had the ear of the king, which wasn't a given if you were a prophet. Because prophets only speak about eternal treasures. They're only working on that level because that's what God is interested in. And so the problem was, he kept telling the secrets to the, of the Assyrians to the king of Israel. They actually said, Elisha tells his king the things that you speak in your bedroom. So the Assyrians were like, he's on to us. We don't have a spy, we have a prophet who keeps telling the king everything we're doing and so we can't come and attack Israel as we would like to. So they devised the only plan that they had back then is to take your whole army and go after the prophet. And so this is, this is where we're at in this passage When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, so this would be a hard scene. 
An army with horses and chariots were all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, so Elisha says, Do not be afraid. If this isn't a microchasm of the very thing we're talking about, here they are, two men in a city surrounded by a major world superpower that only wants them. The other thing is, well, how are treasures going to help you there? Like, are you, are you going to barter with your Xbox? Like, okay, Xbox and three games, and we get to walk. Okay, four games. I'll go up to five games, two controllers. But then we get to walk, and we get a horse. Right? Like, that's, that's not going to work. That's a silly conversation. It kind of proves the whole treasures on earth and treasures on heaven thing. Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Again, Elisha's playing on a different spectrum. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open the eyes of the young man. And he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. So Elisha routed the whole army of the Syrians. And it says later on that he brought them to Samaria, fed them, and they never came back. They stopped uh, doing raids on Israel. So two men defeated a whole army, and they did it by God's power. But the important thing is that God, through Elisha, decided that the eyes of the servant needed to be opened to the reality of the situation. Our life, and Jesus knew this well, is not simply the here and now. I'm going to sound a little matrixy here, right? It's not like this is all an illusion. This is all a program, right? Like that's what the matrix kept telling. It's all just a program. You got to wake up. You got to know what's really going on. But this is not all that there is. And that is as real as anything that you're going to hear in church. The here and now and our 24-hour clock is not the only thing going on in our lives. There is an eternal war, a spiritual war, that far supersedes anything in Ukraine. And there is a time limit that when it hits stop, everything will stop. 
It's not, it's not this whole, well, it's five o'clock somewhere, right, where I'll just go to a different time zone and then I'll get what I want. <clears throat> there is a clock on the world that we live in that will end everything. And Jesus will come back and nothing will ever be the same again. And the things that you do before then completely determine what happens after. When the clock goes out on our life, there is literally no time left. Wow, this is like as close to hell and brimstone as we get nowadays. My goodness. I gotta back it off a little bit. When Jesus says your time on earth is finished or Jesus decides to come back, that is the end of any decision that you can make towards your eternity. And that's just, that's just the real of it. And so Jesus says, with that in mind, put as many chips as you can on the things that will never die. And I invite us, take stock of those things as much as you can on Thanksgiving. Because the Bible tells us, and we know what through our own human experience, the things that we value will inherently keep us there. Think of the freedom about living a life that nothing of value to you can be stolen, can be rotten, can be thrown out, or can be replaced. It may mean you have to wear camel skin and eat honey. But we're all looking to be free. And I'm not in any way saying, don't enjoy the things that you have. There is such a thing as grace in the days. We can enjoy a shirt that is comfortable and shoes that are shiny or or whatever it is, a car that doesn't break down. We can enjoy these things. But not at the point that we lose sight that there is a value system that is far greater that you need zero insurance for. And you can never, ever look to lose. Right? Nothing that is in God's hands can ever be taken away. So why don't we stand? And I want to ask, <clears throat> I want to ask that the Holy Spirit would enlighten us as that story of the servant in Second Kings. We need eyes to see what's really going on and eyes to appreciate the things in our life that are really of value. And God wants to help us with that. This is the thing. Whatever God asks that is difficult, that is hard, and that is against our human nature, he has already agreed to do the heavy lifting. We just simply need to ask him and allow him to work. So if this is you, would you 
raise your heart and mind up to God and receive this prayer. Jesus, I ask that by your power and by the Holy Spirit that you are allowed to dole out on any situation. Would you shine on the hearts and the minds of each of us here and give us real open eyes and ears to perceive the things that are around us that are infinitely greater than the things that are so temporary and will often end up leaving us in bondage. We can take nothing with us so we might as well appreciate the things that you appreciate and that we'll never lose. Lord, give us eyes to see our relationships. Give us eyes to see the opportunities that we can do things by the power of your spirit. Every time your spirit leads us into something, that is a treasure that will never be taken. And we don't simply want to hoard things in heaven. We want to offer our treasures up as gratitude for all that you've done in our life. Would you make us thankful people, Lord, for the forgiveness of sin, the healing of addiction, the, the, the proper way of thinking and feeling, all the relationships you've restored, all the parts where we've been completely in bondage that you healed us. You've given us lives we don't, uh, we, we haven't worked for, and we really uh, can't ever repay you. We thank you for all that we have, Lord, but would we see the greater thing? And would we be a thankful people? And by your power and by your strength, we know that you can do this. We thank you in Jesus' name in advance and for all that you want to uh, open in our hearts and our minds today. Amen.